having that memorized repertoire of various things, which is part intentional but part accidental, is just enriching. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, we've spent many episodes talking about memorization and the value of memorizing poetry, for example. We talked about that in your talk, Nurturing Competent Communicators, and how important that is to help with the formation of words and vocabulary. But I know that you have another talk, By Heart, The Goodness of Memory, that talks more about the value of memorized memorizing stuff. So I thought we could spend some time today talking about that. Yes, well, that talk, which we have a good studio-level recording of Mm -hmm. that talk, by heart, the goodness of memory, kind of came into my thinking as the result of a talk I had given a year before that called 10,000 Times and Then Begins Understanding, which I only did once, so... But it's um, a good talk. Yeah, it's, it's about repetition Mm -hmm. and the difference between what the world might perceive as vain repetition Mm. versus valuable repetition Mm. Mm -hmm. and how do we discern the difference. Mm -hmm. And when you say vain repetition, that usually makes people think of the scriptural injunction against it. But there's the danger of people assuming that all repetition is vain. Right. We also see this expressed in kind of the progressive 20th century views, kind of Mm Deweyism that evolved or developed or infected, I guess would be the better word, modern education as where memorizing things in Dewey's view was at best a waste of time and more likely a stifling of creativity right. and an unnecessary burden right. on children. Yeah, why memorize things when you have the world at your fingertips, the world of knowledge at your right. fingertips? And, and when Dewey started pushing this in the early 1900s, and then it became kind of more of the standard fare in teacher education mm-hmm. up in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, We had not yet entered the world of instant access to information. Right. So even before we had the ubiquity of internet-connected devices and Wikipedia, there was this kind of attack against memory in education. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, what I uh, do in that talk is try to speak about the goodness of memory Mm -hmm. and then point out a few obvious things. For example, everything we know, everything we can do, 
everything that we can say or recognize, whether it's our mother's face or a poem or a Latin verb conjugation or how to do a layup, everything that we can know and do and say and use to create with, we acquired through memory. Right, sure. So so a, an attack against memory essentially is an attack against humanity. And one of the, the, the things I realized in, in this contemplation was my mother. Hmm. She was a music teacher. Right. She taught piano and voice for my whole life. And so I just grew up in this world and she taught at home. So mm -hmm. uh, there were you know, a lot of discussions and helping at recitals. And then I grew up playing music as well. I never remember her saying, you have to memorize your piece. She would always say, you must learn it by heart. And so that idea of by heart, well, there's so much truth to that. I, I, I'm sad that the expression has gone away. It's very rare that you would hear anyone ever say, learn it by heart. Listeners, let's resurrect that phrase. Let's start using that more often because I, too, remember learning music pieces by heart. Not a well-known fact in Julie Walker world. I grew up playing the accordion. The accordion? Yes, yes. I would have put you on like a French horn or a flute or something. Well, later but... in high school, I did play trumpet, but mm. the accordion was the closest I could get to piano because I always dreamed of being able to play the piano. Well, in a way, an accordion has advantages. You can carry the thing around a lot easier. <laughs> it's but, true. <laughs> but that idea, you know, what you memorize... You know, what you commit to memory mm -hmm. goes right into your soul in a way. I mean, what you memorize will affect you. And I mentioned in, you know, other talks or podcasts that I did not grow up in a Christian home mm -hmm. per se, but I don't know why. I did memorize, you know, the Lord's Prayer the 23rd Psalm. Nice. Yep. And I, I'm not sure what motivated me to do it. I, I, I know I was not forced to do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe my mother thought, well, it's just kind of a part of being literate. Or I think she had a little bit more of a spiritual bend than my father. Mm. And I just remember having memorized that. And then, you know, there'd be some kind of unpleasantry, something I didn't like about what was happening in my life. You know, and, and I would recall the words, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I didn't, I didn't have a theological connection with it. But number one, the beauty of the poetry. Mm -hmm, right. And number two, the kind of innocent faith of a child mm -hmm. that was encapsulated in this thing that was in my soul because I had spent the time to try and mm -hmm. memorize it. And, you know, I also point out to parents, look, if you do not give your children good stuff to memorize, they will memorize stupid stuff. They're wired for memory. I remember working very hard to memorize two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yes. Which was a commercial that I heard, I'm sure. Over and over Thousands again. of yep. times on the television attesting to the effectiveness of repetition to inject ideas 
into the minds and hearts of people. Well, and the fact that you can still say it today, what, 30 years later? Well, and, you know, I would never eat such a horrible thing as a Big Mac, (laughs) but I do know the formula for a Big Mac. But, you know, today the options are worse. You know, there's, there's really ugly, ugly stuff that kids will memorize because it's in their environment. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have to choose, you know, you, you will breathe air and eat food, whether you want to or not, you will take things in through the memory. And so to the degree that we as parents and teachers can provide nutritious language and thought. Yes. And not just nutritious in that it's good for you, but also it tastes good, you mm. know. Taste and see mm-hmm. the goodness of the Lord. Taste and see the beauty of language. And we have such a rich tradition. So, it's true. you know, that's one thing that I have kind of been sad about is to see, you know, in the popular culture, people just aren't learning things that once upon a time everyone knew. Yes. Or at least in my position of imagining that once upon a time yes. everyone knew, you know, certain things that you know, you didn't even have to believe them, but at least you were literate. Right. Yep. You know, and that goes even to like the preamble of the Constitution or the first sentence of the Declaration of Independence or the very short and easy to memorize Gettysburg Address or even just little snippets of scripture that connect us with our heritage, mm-hmm. with our our cultural origins, so to speak. Those have just kind of all gone out the window. And I think it's sad because, you know, our country, we are the melting uh, pot, melting pot. Mm -hmm. And there was a pride. There was a happiness. There was a joy in the fact that we all had these different rich traditions and we could draw from those. And yet there were things we could hold in common. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as we lose both of those, we are losing part of the the broth, if you will, (laughs) in which we can live and happily be a nation of diverse people. Yes, exactly. My mind went to actors and how we esteem actors, and yet they spend so much time memorizing Mm -hmm. stuff. So, but what are they memorizing? Right. Well, you know, when you meet a well-read person. Okay, sure. You you kind of have a, a bit of awe for their fluency Mm -hmm. with ideas. And whether they have memorized exact quotes or they simply have had enough repetition to be familiar with those things, Mm -hmm. and they can weave those ideas and names and events and references and, and they weave them into a conversation maybe an analysis of our current world or a conversation about someone's life. Mm -hmm. You kind of are just, I don't know, I'm kind of envious. Like, wow, I wish I knew as much as that person knows. Mm -hmm. Well, how did that person learn that stuff? Well, it's the combination. I mean, we go back to nurturing competent communicators. We keep going there, don't we? (laughs) They, you know, they read or and or were read to. Mm -hmm a lot of good and great literature. Mm -hmm. And so it furnished their mind with not just the vocabulary, not just the grammar and syntax, not just the 
the beauty of language, the literary devices, the schemes and tropes, but very often with the the seminal ideas mm-hmm. of what's right and good and true and just and right. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of people do have an a store of memorized things that might include scripture or poetry or quotations or excerpts. I don't know a single person who could quote something and not be grateful that they could do that. Sure. You think about who could you quote. I know a few Chesterton quotes, a few Mark Twain quotes, maybe a John F. Kennedy quote, a few Bible verses that would float into my mind at any moment. And what does that do? It kind of punctuates my point. It Mm -hmm. kind of adds depth, adds credibility. It connects my thinking right now with someone who lived 100 or 200 years ago. So having that memorized repertoire of various things, which is part intentional but part accidental, is just enriching. It's just enriching. Whereas I don't think you would get that same satisfaction of knowing you know, a rap song or the formula for a Big Mac or some random thing that advertising stuck into your brain. I find it incredibly ironic that while modern education has kind of marginalized the importance of repetition and knowing stuff, the advertising world has maximized that through repetition and forcing you to know stuff that is not even necessarily good or true. I mean, I'll bet almost every American walking around in the country would at some point in their moments of living have, you deserve a break today, <laughs> you know, float into the, I don't deserve a break today. I mean, I what have I done to earn a break? You, you know, but oh no, just by merit of being alive, you deserve McDonald's. It's, it's almost insidious the way advertising uses these natural human faculties Mm -hmm. to inject into your brain things that displace the good and true and beautiful that should be in your brain. And so it's just this huge cultural shift. So I guess my point would be if you don't actively pursue cultivating the memory intentionally, you will end up with accidental and not necessarily beneficial snippets running around your consciousness. Yes, yes. And so I'm hearing now our listeners respond, but Andrew, I have such a hard time memorizing stuff. Do you have any words of wisdom for me to help me memorize the good stuff? So easy plus one. Um, So I'm old, you know, I'm 62 years old right now. And my memory is not as good as it used to be. So I just want to just insert this right now. You are not old, Andrew, 62, because you're only one year older than me, and I am not old. So therefore... We are not old. We are not old. But... We're older. We do experience the problem of getting older and finding it a little bit harder Mm -hmm. to remember stuff, whether it's the name of a person If we don't make a conscious effort to do it, we may not remember that name. And then the next time we see the person. So, you know, one thing I've done is just 
work really hard to learn names of people and then use mnemonic devices so that the next time I see that person, I'll connect it with something. And, you know, there's a whole lot we could talk about in memory. In fact, I believe we will at some point have a actual product, a writing program that will help students learn memory techniques. Yes. But, okay, so I, I think I told you this, but most people don't know because it's kind of a new idea. I've been trying to spend time in the sauna. Oh, nice, yes. I have been convinced of the health benefits of sitting in 185 degrees temperature and sweating as hard as I can for as long as I can. And, you know, this is like anything. You kind of have to build up a tolerance to it. And so I'm trying to gradually increase my length of time. And it's not fun. I, I don't think, oh, it's going to be enjoyable. No, I think, okay, I'm going to really have to force myself to do this. But I'm doing it, you know, often enough, almost every day that it gets easier and easier. But what do you do when you're sitting there? The time moves very slowly when you are in such an uncomfortable situation. Well, I just decided to start memorizing prayers in Latin. Oh. So, you know, I'm into this stacking habits idea. Like, if you want to do something, you have to do it every day. If you want to do something else, you got to do every day. If you could do those two things at the same time, hey, you know, the proverbial two birds with one stone makes no sense because nobody ever did that. But nevertheless, <laughs> I started memorizing these Latin prayers in part because I wanted to maintain my Latin. Number two, I thought, well, you know, it's just cool. And number three, if I'm really working hard mentally— I will be distracted from my physical discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I also thought the more Latin prayers I have memorized, the more I'll have to recite, the longer it'll distract me. And so gradually I should be able to increase both the memorized repertoire with the number of minutes I can tolerate, 185, sometimes even 190 degrees sauna. But it's slow. For me, it's really slow. And I don't have the paper or the phone. I'm in there, just my brain. It's whatever I happen to carry around in my brain. And so, you know, I start out with like four words and I'll recite these four words again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And then the next day I may not remember them. I'm like, I did that 50 times. Well, okay. So 10,000 times. Four words, four <laughs> words, just four words until it's really solid. Then I just add on two or three more words, and then I will recite all seven or eight of those words and do that again and again until it's super solid. And then I'll do that again and again and just gradually add on. And once I got the whole Anima Christi prayer memorized, then I would just always recite that three or four or five or six times, and it's getting faster and faster and faster. And so what's so interesting is you notice that your brain is in this mode of struggling to remember the next word. Then you get past that, and then you're in this mode of struggling to remember the next sequence of words, and then you get past that, and then pretty soon there's no struggle. It's automatic, mm -hmm. or it's second nature. Mm -hmm. And I got that one under the belt, and so I went on to another one, and another one, and another one, and I've got about five, and the whole sequence to do each one of them three times takes me about 
four or five minutes. So if I can do that whole sequence three times, boom, I'm 12 minutes. And that's my current main daily goal. I'd like to get up to 20. Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm sure our listeners would ask, and I don't know that we would ever present strategies of how to sit in a sauna as a well, separate podcast. You know, it's just it's just me. Sure. It's sure. just me. But the idea and and anyone wanting to learn something is you decide what you want to learn and you say, well, does this have merit mm -hmm. to make it worth the effort? Yes. And then you just start doing it, even if it's just one word, right? Or three words. And then, you know, did I get it right? Did I actually get that right? And in Latin, it's a little bit trickier because, you know, did I did I say it the way it's spelled? Did I remember the correct ending of the word? Mm -hmm. Did I miss an article or a preposition or something? Or it's not articles, but did I miss a preposition the, or get the wrong preposition, right? And then I go back and check and, and then self-correct. And then next time, try again. And then ultimately, once I have the whole thing memorized, I test myself by writing it out and comparing the written out version with the original. And then, oh, wow, I've been saying that word incorrectly. Okay, I fixed that or whatever. That I think, you know, for me has been a really good personal stacking of stuff. And part of what I've also been contemplating these days is the problem of what do you have if you lose everything? Mm. So, I mean, what if? What if society broke to a point where I didn't have all the things I have? And you can start making a list of the things that you could lose, you know, from your bank account and your income to your home to your car. I mean, good heavens, what if you had no phone? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, you would be in a state of extreme emotional stress and disruption mm -hmm. because you'd feel cut off from everything. Well, what what if? I mean, wh whether I ended up in a you know, as a political prisoner, or I ended up stranded somewhere, or we all ended up with no electricity for, I mean, it's bleak to think about, but it's not impossible. What would I have if I had nothing? I would only have what's in my mind. Mm -hmm. I would only have what I have furnished my mind with in terms of the stories, the scriptures, the, the Latin prayers, right? <laughs> uh, for whatever they're good for, uh, the memories that I had. Mm -hmm. And then my capacity to serve other people in that situation would very much be dependent upon the quality of whatever I was carrying around in my brain. Right. So by investing in yourself, you're investing in others. Yeah. And, and if, you know, if I go through the rest of my life and I never have lost everything in that way, well, I'm still richer as a result of it. Plus, it's just cool. Right? I mean, I'm, I met a boy once at a homeschool convention who had memorized. And this, this child was probably, I'm, if I recall, maybe 10 or 11 years old. Okay. He had memorized the entire book of James. Nice. And I said, wow, could you recite some of it for me? He goes, which chapter? <laughs> nice. Right? And so I just picked one at random, and he recited it. And I just thought, this is cool. 
on so many levels. Not only was he able to do it, he was able to do it under pressure because saying a random chapter that you've called that Mr. Pudwa has called upon, wow, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, he could just go straight to that spot. Mm -hmm. And I did not meet this person, but I have heard the story of a girl who memorized the entire New Testament. Wow. She started when she was about six, Mm -hmm. and she accomplished it by the age of 16. Wow. That's incredible. That is pretty amazing. Yeah. 10 years to memorize all of New Testament. I would, yes. Now, like I said, I didn't meet this girl. Sure. But think of the richness of carrying around, you know, I mean, just the Gospels, but the Gospels and the Epistles and all the way up to the Apocalypse, that's... That's like mind-blowing. But, you know, I'm sure she experienced what all of us would experience, whether it's music or dance or any kind of physical activity. Um, I'm thinking of martial arts, katas, things like that. Uh, Certainly language. The more you have memorized, the easier it is to memorize more. I think that's a really important, important point, Andrew. I want you to say that again. The more you have memorized, the easier it is to memorize more. So, you know, I I found this to be like 100% true with music students. If I had a student who had done what I asked and maintained a memorized repertoire of music, Mm -hmm. learning the 11th piece in book one was so much easier and faster and better than a person who had not maintained the memorized repertoire trying to learn that same piece. Hmm. And so, you know, if you spend half an hour a day doing that, whether it's, you know, music is the obvious one because you practice every day. Mm -hmm. You spent half an hour a day practicing music. Well, if you spent half your time just playing what you already knew and making it better and easier and faster and smoother and, and everything, and half your time learning a new piece, you'd learn a new piece faster than if you spent 100% of your 30 minutes trying to learn a new piece. It would probably even be true at around two-thirds. Like two-thirds of your time practicing what you already know, making it easier and faster and better, and one-third of your Hmm. time trying to learn something new. I don't know where the the perfect sweet spot is. Obviously, if you spent 100% playing what you know and 0% trying to learn something new, you'd never learn something new. So where's the ratio? Where's the optimal ratio? But I would guess it's somewhere in between that half to two-thirds. And yet a lot of people don't realize that, and they spend a lot of time learning a new poem, mm-hmm. but they forget their old poem. Right. But the thing that you know I've realized is any new thing— whether it's music or dance or language, is really not entirely new. It's a combination and permutation of previously known patterns. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may increase in complexity, but the complexity broken down is still the previously learned patterns. And so we furnish our mind, we stock our consciousness we learn by heart, it becomes second nature, then we can draw on those patterns to acquire new patterns and expand our repertoire. And then those newly memorized patterns 
empower us. And it's, it goes on forever. You know, I'm, I'm always uh, realizing this painful thought. We can finish with this because I know we're about out of time. That technology will atrophy. It will cause atrophy of the skill which it replaces. Yes. And one of my favorite stories is that story of the king of Egypt and the great god Thoth or Thoth or Tooth or however you say it. We, we've never really figured it out because we haven't found someone who speaks ancient Egyptian. Anyway, Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, said to the king of Egypt, I will give you these gifts of technology. And one of them is writing. And this was related in one of the uh, Socratic uh, dialogues by Plato. And the king of Egypt said, well, thank you. We'll take your gift. But this gift will have the effect of weakening men's memories because they will rely on the written word rather than their own memory. So, you know, we're, we, we can now see that times a million. We, we don't have to know anything anymore because we can just ask our phone. Mm -hmm. But I don't see that as a valid reason to not cultivate the human faculty mm -hmm. of memory in the really sad and puny way that we are capable of being modern 21st century technology-enhanced humans. But I will go into the sauna, and the first thing I will say is, Anima Christi, Sanctificame, Corpus Christi, Salvame, Sanguis Christi, Inibriame, Aqua Lateris Christi, Lavame, Passio Christi, Comfortame, and it goes on for a while. Yes, that's lovely. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing, would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.